This is an ABC podcast. Good morning and welcome to AM. I'm Kim Landers, coming to you from Gadigal Land in Sydney. Australia's military support for Ukraine is shifting from providing equipment and weapons to training. About 70 Defence Force personnel are being farewelled in Darwin today before heading to the UK, where they'll join troops from European nations, Canada and New Zealand to train Ukrainian soldiers. It's a step up from the Bushmaster armoured vehicles and other weapons that Australia is already providing in the fight against Russia. Foreign Affairs reporter Stephen Jedgetts has more. Well, Kim, we don't have a huge amount of detail, uh, unsurprisingly perhaps, from the Australian government about exactly what training they'll engage in. But senior officers do say that the troops will provide Ukrainian recruits uh, what they call training in basic infantry tactics, which can be used in both cities and, and also the forested areas and the farmlands of Ukraine to help them fight back Russian forces. Now, this was first announced last year uh, by the Albanese government in late October, but it's taken a few months uh, to get this up and running. And today what will happen is that the troops will be formally farewelled in Darwin ahead of their actual departure tomorrow. Now, the 70 or so soldiers who are travelling from Darwin um, have actually also taken what's a fairly unusual step of training with AK-47 rifles. The reason for that is simple. It's a weapon that many Ukrainian recruits use in combat, so they also need to be familiar with the gun. They'll join an international effort uh, based in the United Kingdom, which has already trained thousands of Ukrainian recruits over the last year, uh, and which is seeming like it's going to ramp up in 2023. Uh, the British Defence Secretary, Ben Wallace, has said the mission will try and train an additional 20,000 recruits this year. And of course, Kim, it comes on the back of Australia's previous announcements and some significant contributions to the Ukra- Ukrainian war effort, including the supply of 90 Bushmaster vehicles. Uh, still, the, the training mission in Australia Australia's uh, Australia's addition here does represent a bit of a shift in our approach. Australia simply doesn't have uh, the large amounts of advanced military weaponry, which some other countries friendly to Ukraine are supplying. And so it's now looking to provide help in other ways. And one thing the Australian Army does do and does do quite well is training. So I think it's likely that we'll continue to see small contingents of Australian troops heading to the UK over the next year or so to help in this international effort. And Stephen, there's another significant defence announcement today about helicopters. Yes, that's right. Uh, the government uh, will announce today that it's going to acquire 40 Blackhawk helicopters for the Australian Army. That will come at a substantial cost of uh, about $2.8 billion. And it's moving to get these helicopters pretty quickly uh, sometime or starting at some point this year. Now, again, this isn't an entirely new announcement. It was first put forward by Peter Dutton when he was Defence Minister, uh, but it's now very much being locked in by the new Labor government, which seems keen to get these helicopters as quickly as possible. Uh, they're saying that the Blackhawk helicopter will provide a crucial element for the uh, government and for the army to protect Australia's sovereignty. And of course, it comes after the government and the Australian army has had a few difficulties uh, with the existing fleet of troubled European-designed Taipan helicopters, uh, which are now being retired around a decade earlier than scheduled. They've struggled uh, with a few problems and difficulties, uh, including problems with getting them up in the air, reliability, and also difficulties with the doors not having the width necessary uh, to uh, to allow the guns 
that they uh, deploy to be uh, to be pointed out of them. So a significant announcement, not a surprising one, but one that will reshape Australia's army over the coming decades. Stephen Jedgetts. Meanwhile, as the conflict in Ukraine drags on, a man who claims he was a commander in Russia's private military company, Wagner, which operates in Ukraine, has sought asylum in Norway. His lawyer says the 26-year-old could end up helping the International Criminal Court with its investigations into atrocities committed in Ukraine. Europe correspondent Steve Kinane reports. Andrei Medvedev's story of his escape from Russia sounds like something out of a Cold War spy thriller. Wearing a white dressing gown, the former mercenary claims he climbed over two barbed wire fences before scrambling into the forest near the Norwegian border. The area is considered one of the most guarded border crossings in the world. And as he ran across an iced-over lake, he says he heard the sounds of barking dogs pursuing him and bullets whizzing by. He's told the Russian human rights organisation Gulagu.net that he left Wagner in November after other recruits were executed. The company changed my contract unilaterally, he said. Without asking for my opinion, they extended it to six months and then to eight months. After that, I left without authorization because I did not like the things that started happening there. After the prisoners arrived, strange things happened, killings by our own people, by the Wagner security officers. Wagner is a private army of mercenaries run by key Putin ally Yevgeny Prigozhin. Prigozhin has previously denied the existence of Wagner, but was caught on film in September promising prisoners he would get them released from jail if they did a six-month combat tour of Ukraine with his private army. The company has been accused of carrying out atrocities in a number of countries, including Syria, Libya and now Ukraine. Andrei Medvedev says he saw prisoners shot and killed by Wagner security. I know for sure about three cases where prisoners who tried to run away from hospitals after being wounded were shot dead. Also, 10 people were shot on the training ground in front of prisoners who just arrived. It was done as a deterrent, saying they are traitors, they refuse to fight. Look what happens to them. According to US intelligence, Wagner has recruited 40,000 soldiers from Russia's prison system. The company has been the driving force behind Russia's recent success in Solidar in the Donbass. Ukrainian Special Forces Lieutenant Taras Berezovets told AM yesterday Wagner's commanders were treating their recruits like cannon fodder. The town of Solidar is just packed with bodies of dead uh, uh, mercenaries of Wagner Group, so nobody knows how many of them have been killed because nobody counted them. Andrei Medvedev now fears for his life, and Western officials will be doing all they can to not only protect him, but to see if he can testify in future war crimes prosecutions. This is Steve Kinane reporting for AM. The toll from the torrential rain in North Queensland continues to mount. Fishermen might not be able to work for a fortnight and truckies are bracing for another couple more days stranded on the Bruce Highway, with some communities expected to be isolated for a week. Any guest reports? Fishermen expect the elements to get in their way, but David Karachalu from Mackay Reef Fish Supplies says this deluge has terrible timing. Oh, it's having a, a great impact, especially this week, which uh, we've got Chinese New uh, Lunar New Year coming up at the end of the week. The coastal guys that do the, the mud crabs and the coastal fish, 
well, they'll be totally um, out of action and I would think probably for up to two weeks. So two weeks lost income for some fishermen. That's depending on when the rain does ease because um, you've got to let the, the fresh water get out of the creeks. Um, there's also debris. There's a lot of debris comes down the creeks uh, with the flooding. It's welcome news that the Weather Bureau is forecasting conditions to ease today, although dangerous flood warnings remain in place throughout the region. But the big wet is not all bad news for fishermen. Oh, look, it flushes out the creeks the, for your mud crab and barramundi, they, uh, especially your barramundi and your estuary fish. Um, they rely on the rain for, for food and for breeding purposes. Not far from the coast, the Bruce Highway has been cut in at least five places in central Queensland and north to Bowen, with more than 100 people making use of evacuation centres. Gary Mann from the Queensland Trucking Association says many truckies are staying in their sleeping cabins. We've had quite a number, uh, probably in the order of 60 or 70 vehicles uh, held up at roadside um, and we expect that they'll be caught there for at least another 48 hours before they move. So how are those 60 to 70 um, truck drivers faring who are stuck up there on the highway? Typically they carry uh, some, um, you know, food and um, uh, support with them but that normally would only be for, say, 24 hours or so. Uh, local populations, you know, through SES and other services have been very supportive to uh, help provision uh, anyone who's stuck along the highway. The acting Premier, Stephen Miles, says some communities may be isolated for up to a week and ensuring they're also supplied with food, water and medicine is a priority. Meanwhile, Gary Mann has this message for authorities. In 2023, I mean, we really should have at least one all-weather freight route around this country so that um, all of our communities uh, can rely upon, um, you know, being replenished uh, regardless of the weather. Gary Mahan from the Queensland Trucking Association ending that report from Annie Guest. Rural doctors are warning that Australia's network of maternity units is in crisis and state and federal governments need to urgently boost training programs to fix the problem. They say many hospitals have either decided to close their maternity services or have put them on temporary bypass due to a shortage of midwives, obstetricians and other professionals. David Sparks has more. When country maternity services shut down and pregnant women have to travel long distances, the impact on them and their families is impossible to ignore. Shay Candish is the New South Wales Secretary of the Nurses and Midwifery Association. Yeah, it's really difficult. It's difficult for first-time mums who really rely on the social support of their family and friends when they're having a baby for the first time, but also for um, second- and third-time mums who often have responsibilities, uh, you know, caring for multiple children. Most of the closures seen at the moment, whether permanent or temporary, are caused by a shortage of the right professionals. In the case of midwives, Shay Candish says the problem's been particularly bad in the past five years and a significant investment is needed to fix the problem. The Rural Doctors Association of Australia is calling for action to reverse the decline in maternity services in rural and regional Australia. Peter Rutherford is the association's chief executive. Basically, we're seeing a continued wind back of maternity services across many of our rural communities. 
Um, but we're also now seeing that expand into some of our large regional centres. We've got issues in Gladstone where we saw the private service close initially and then that's followed by an extended period of bypass for the public service where women now are travelling to Rockhampton to have their babies. But we've also recently seen or it's been announced that the private service in Geelong is going to close. In Queensland, the state government says it's working towards ending the bypass at Gladstone by mid-year when four new obstetricians are due to arrive. More broadly, Peter Rutherford says the problem is a shortage of rural GPs, obstetricians and midwives. She thinks the solution lies in making sure training programs are not only producing those professionals, but also placing them in rural and regional areas during that training. A national rural generalist pathway coordinated by the state and federal governments was launched in 2018. But the association says it could be working far more effectively. You know, a key part is about, you know, ensuring that junior doctors early in their career, whether it's as an intern or a postgraduate year two, are getting a rural experience. And at the moment, that's something that we do think is lacking because that's the time they're making their career decisions. National Rural Health Commissioner Ruth Stewart agrees more needs to be done to stop the decline of rural and regional birthing services and getting junior and trainee staff into those areas is crucial. So we need to get the specialist colleges to approve and support far more training posts in the regional cities of Australia. If the doctors in training settle in those towns and have their training there, they work there and understand how you do the job in those smaller communities, they're much more confident and competent to work there. National Rural Health Commissioner Ruth Stewart ending that report by David Sparks. When the framework for the new National Anti-Corruption Commission was being sorted out last year, Commonwealth judges weren't included in its scope. Now the federal government is in the early stages of deciding whether members of the bench should be subject to their own watchdog. Here's political reporter Matthew Doran. Who judges judges? It's an interesting question, given the principle underpinning Australia's court system that it should be independent and protected from outside influence. And it's an issue the federal government is now considering. I think it's really important to remember that independence and impartiality are sort of two of our core judicial values. Gabrielle Appleby is a professor of public law at the University of Sydney. But part of that independence and impartiality is demonstrating that, that judicial officers are acting in a way that doesn't bring the judiciary into disrepute and that there is a form of accountability for any uh, misconduct. A report by the Australian Law Reform Commission presented to the then Morrison government in December 2021 recommended establishing a federal judicial commission. At the time, the ALRC said there was a widely held view across the legal community that the majority of Commonwealth judges carried out their work with integrity and dedication under very difficult circumstances. But it noted there was a risk that poor conduct would undermine the system and recommended complaints should not be handled internally by the courts. Professor Appleby says that'll go a long way towards building trust. Members of the public who had had negative judicial experiences indicated that they hadn't raised the issue because they didn't know where to go. Some states and territories already have their own judicial commissions looking at a range of matters, everything from claims there'd been serious delays in the delivery of judgments harming those involved in court cases, through to allegations of racial or sexual discrimination against lawyers, their clients and witnesses. There must be confidence 
in anybody who goes to the Commission to have an issue addressed, that there is a process that's followed, that it's clear and that it's consistent. Luke Murphy is the President of the Law Council of Australia. It is important that the parties involved in any judicial proceeding who feel that there has been a bias or a conflict that has influenced the conduct of the proceedings has in fact a, an avenue by which they can air it. Attorney General Mark Dreyfus says public consultation on a Federal Judicial Commission is open for the next month, stressing it's very early days and that it will guide how the government decides to proceed. Matthew Doran reporting. It's the time of year when sharks are never far from people's minds, but scientists are warning that many species are at risk of becoming extinct. New research from James Cook University says close to 60% of sharks and rays that live on coral reefs around the world could be wiped out. But is the community ready to rise to the challenge of saving our sharks? Nick Grimm takes a look. It's a summer national pastime. Finding some waves, getting wet and worrying about sharks. I guess because you can't see them. I don't know. I guess that's always that fear. I know if I see a shark, I cannot run away, but uh, still, <laughs> I don't feel <laughs> safe. Scary. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like, they're just going to come at you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're a bit scary. Why are they scary? Um, because they eat people. But it's not just beachgoers fretting about sharks and other creatures of the deep. Scientists and conservationists are also worried, just for very different reasons. Oh, absolutely. You know, we have some seri- fairly serious concerns about the future of these species if we don't do something in a global sense to, to address those concerns. Adjunct Professor Colin Simfendorfer from James Cook University has just published research revealing the majority of coral reef sharks and ray species are at risk of extinction. Hammerheads, grey reef sharks and blue-spotted stingrays are some under the most pressure. The really uh, alarming result that came back was that um, there are about just under 60% of the species that, that of sharks and ray that live on coral reefs have a, an elevated risk of extinction. Being in the water every single day, uh, ocean conservationists and photographers like myself, all across the planet have have seen this going on for a a long time now. Tom Cannon is an underwater photographer and filmmaker. His footage of whale sharks feeding on WA's Ningaloo Reef has been used by marine scientists to better understand the animal's behaviour. Sharks are a keystone species uh, in marine ecosystems and particularly in coral reef environments as well. A healthy coral reef presents a healthy population of sharks uh, and this is because... Sharks regulate the predatory fish species on coral reefs. Sharks basically control those predatory fish and stop them from overpopulating those reefs, and we keep our reefs healthy. A message he hopes gets through to more beachgoers like these. The movies make them seem really bad, but they're not. They're just, if we leave them alone, they'll leave us alone. Yeah, I mean, I get that the sharks are, like, they're endangered and we have to look after them as well. But, um, yeah, I'm also scared of them at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Beachgoers ending Nick Grimm's report. And that is AM for today. Thanks for your company. I'm Kim Landers. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.